Alright, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett. And we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning again on such a great salvation and particularly healing again this morning. Um, and also, just, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And so, in case, we also want to say thank you thank you to all those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Excuse me. Go to the top right-hand corner where it says "Give." It's highlighted in blue. You can give from anywhere around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouses at Ship Center, and you can uh, on the, again on the on our website at the bottom of every page on the footer, you can find our mailing address and you can send it uh, in that manner. If you're in that in the United States, just so you know, your tax donations are. 100% tax deductible, as if we are a 51C3 church. So anyway, uh, as I've been saying, we've been we're going to continue our teaching this morning on such a great salvation. We'll be t talking about this for over uh, over half a year, several months, and so we are, I believe, in week 24 here in, 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 in this series. And with that, we've been talking about the gift of salvation, defining what salvation is. We've been talking about the purpose of salvation and the necessity of salvation. And we've been talking for the last several months on the benefits of salvation. And with that, we've had many, many series, many series. We've talked about the benefits of salvation, how it relates to wholeness, and also the benefits of salvation, how it relates to healing. I believe I'm going to have this week and one more week talking about this. We've been talking about this for a few months now on healing, and then I'll be going to a mini series on talking about the benefits of salvation. <coughs> Excuse me. The benefits of salvation and how it relates to prosperity. All of this is under the umbrella of talking about the benefits of salvation, and so let's continue this morning again on talking about healing. So last week I've introduced the concept of talking about unbelief. We've talked about this briefly in weeks past as we were talking about many other hindrances to receiving healing, and I wanted, I felt need the need to uh, spend a little bit more time on the concept of unbelief, which is the main hindrance of receiving healing. Or, uh, we could just change the subject matter to receive, is a, I believe, is a major, major hinder to receiving the answers to our prayer, whatever that prayer would be. Okay? Whether it's finances, or whether it's wisdom, or relationships, or whatever the case may be. Relationships uh, have another element to it because uh, there's a third party involved. Okay? And so uh, that, that does uh, take it to another level there. But we're talking about healing, and this subject of healing can also be applied to many other subjects and, uh, on the concepts that we're talking about, especially when we're talking about unbelief. <coughs> Excuse me. So, we're going to talk about it again this morning. Excuse me. And unbelief, as we talked about last week, unbelief hinders us from receiving the promises of God. In other words, again, we can we can we can talk about unbelief and how it hinders us from receiving any of our prayers being answered. Okay, in Mark nine twenty four, which is our key verse for this segment. <coughs> Excuse me. We're going to come back to this at the end of our message this morning, but in Mark nine twenty four, 
the, uh, the father of his boy who had epilepsy. He, it says immediately the father of uh, the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe and help my unbelief. I introduced this last week. We didn't add him there. I want to introduce it again at the beginning of the message this week as we will bring it back, come back to this at the end this week. Many of us have been here with this father's act. You believe that God's word, the truth, you might even believe in healing or for healing, but you're struggling with some type of form of unbelief. And you're you're like the Father. The first and, and it was in context of Jesus saying to the Father, if you can believe, all things are possible to him believes, and that's what the Father responded, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And the man the man has some level of unbelief to begin with. And just because we might say that you have some unbelief. doesn't mean you don't have some belief to begin with. Usually there's a mixture. You believe, but you have some unbelief. And they're both working sim simultaneously, but even as they're working, even though you believe and you have unbelief, you're usually, in most cases, your unbelief is winning. And it's nullifying any belief that you do have in the area that you're believing God for. Okay? And so... The man has some level of unbelief. Otherwise, he would never have brought his son to his disciples, to Jesus. If you didn't have some level of belief, you would never pray. You would never ask God. You would never ask the elders of the church. You would never ask, make a prayer request. The fact that you, you made a prayer request, the fact that this father brought his son to his disciples and to Jesus, tells him that he had a level of, of belief. Okay, But he was also struggling with some unbelief. And that is where most of us find ourselves today. Most of us, most of us believers, believe. Okay? We're not unbelievers, most of us who are listening today. You know, most of us believe in the God. We believe in Jesus. We believe in the Word of God. We believe in prayer. We believe in healing. And we believe in miracles, most of us. Okay? Sorry about that. Not sure where that came from, so we'll deal with that. There's various types. I mentioned last week. There's various types of love. There's eros love, which is a erotic or romantic, a passionate type of love. There's there's phileo, a love of friends and others. There's storage love. Many people haven't heard of that. Storage love is a love of parents for for children. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Storage, but and then there's agape love. It's God's true love. It's a noun. These other three are verb forms, but this one is actually noun form because it's talking about a person, and it's agape. His name is God, and and so uh, that's the true love. Okay, but there's also various types of hope. See, why am I talking about this? Because there's various types of unbelief. Well, there's various types of love. There's various types of hope. So there's the hope of the world. Why well, I hope so, you know. And then there's the true hope, which is in Jesus Christ, and that's the hope of glory. Okay, there's various types of wisdom. You know, and James, James chapter 3 talks about a, a wisdom that's earthly, essential, it's demonic. But then in the same chapter, he talks about the wisdom from above. Many people have come to me through the years, and even uh, have come to me through the years, and said, this is wisdom. Yeah, it is. It's a form of wisdom. It's earthly, essential, and it's demonic. <laughs> because it's not from above. It's not full of peace and mercy and and willing to yield and, and whatnot. And, and James 3, 17 and 18 talks about that type of wisdom. There's various types of works. There's the works of the law. Romans 3, 28 talks about that. 
and those were works of faith, which we can read in First and Second Thessalonians and other scriptures. There's various types of righteousness. Paul talks about two kinds, and he talks about self, <coughs> excuse me, self-righteousness in Romans chapter 10, and then there's true righteousness, which he talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. Okay? And with the same context, there's also different types of unbelief. And with the different types of unbelief, there are different type causes to unbelief. There are different <coughs> excuse me. There are different consequences to unbelief, and there are different cures to each of these different types of unbelief. Excuse me again. And when we talk about unbelief, many people get offended regarding being told they have unbelief. It hits their ego, or whatever it might be, their pride, or whatever it hurts their feelings. Okay? And many will respond saying, I believe in God. I have faith. How dare you say I have unbelief? And that's because many of them don't understand that there's different kinds of unbelief. Many times when I, we, we say, or Jesus says, or someone says, you have unbelief, we're not talking about the extreme kind of unbelief, which is the rejection of Jesus, which I talked about last week. Okay? Many times in these contexts, we're talking about different other types of unbelief from receiving answers to prayer, or in this case, we're talking about receiving our healing. All of us, including myself, have struggled with a form of unbelief. We all have. Okay? If we weren't struggling with a form of unbelief, we would see miracles and healings uh, like there's no tomorrow. If we didn't struggle with unbelief to some level, we would see revival, we would see lives being changed, we would see mountains being moved, we would see all kinds of miracles happening without fail. But my heart as a pastor, as a teacher, is I want us all to see victory in our lives, in every area of our lives. And, and we are seeing victory in areas of our lives, most of us, but I want to see more of it in a more consistent manner. Okay? And there's various types of unbelief that have different causes, consequences, and cures, as we, will, as we have said, and we will continue to say in the remainder of this, this teaching. At times we believe one way, but the circumstances look another way. And we're going to deal with that this morning. That will, and, and, and when this happens, excuse me, let me go back. When we believe something one way, and we look at, but we see it happening in a different way, that will minister unbelief to you. We believe that by his stripes we're healed, but we see ourselves sick, or our loved ones sick. We believe God wants us to have a healthy marriage, but we're experiencing an unhealthy marriage at the time. Okay? We believe God will bless the works of our hands, but right now we're struggling financially, and we're struggling in our job, our career, whatever the case may be. We, we believe a lot of things, but it looks another way in the moment. And when that happens, it will minister unbelief to you. So we need to know how to deal with this. How do we deal with it when we believe one way, but we are experiencing something totally different? How, how do we handle that? How do we process that? How do we change that? Okay? So again, there's various types of unbelief. And the first one we talked about last week, which I'll briefly uh, re recap this morning, is that rejection of Jesus. And this is an extreme kind. This is not the kind I'm talking about this morning. This is not the kind of unbelief I'm talking about in this message. 
In this whole series, I'm not, I have not been talking about this. I might have a, uh, uh, made a point to that at various times, but for the most part, I've not been talking about the rejection of Jesus. Okay? That's not the type of unbelief I've been talking about at large uh, in this message. And where does this kind of come from? Well, again, I'll, I'll do a brief recap. It comes from John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. Jesus is talking to disciples just before he goes to the cross. He's been talking to the Holy Spirit. In chapter 13, he watched her feet after the, the last Passover. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. I talked about that last week. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin, singular, and of the righteousness and of judgment. He explains that in the next three verses. He says, of sin because I do not, they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is just. Last week I dealt with this a little more, I spent a lot more time with this. I'm just going to highlight from what we're talking about, unbelief. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of unbelief in the cross, or in Jesus. Okay, that's what the Holy Spirit convicts the world of. Most of you who are listening to this are not operating in that type of unbelief. Okay, most of you have not rejected Jesus. You have not rejected the truth. If you are lost today and you have, re and you have not received Jesus... The Holy Spirit is not convicting you of sins, plural. He's convicting you of one sin, and that is receiving Jesus, because you have not believed on him. Okay? What sin, what singular sin, is he convicting the world of? The sin of unbelief. The sin of not believing in Jesus. And I got that from John chapter 16, because Jesus gave us the problem, and he gave us the answer. Jesus died for all of our sins, plural. We know that. We understand that, most of us. Jesus made atonement for all of our sins, plural. But the only sin, and there's only one sin that was not covered on the cross, and that was the rejection of Jesus, the rejection of the cross. So the cause of this kind of unbelief is the rejection of Jesus, the rejection of the message, the rejection of the cross. The consequence to this kind of sin is damnation, going to hell, eternal damnation. That is the consequence. That's why this one's this extreme kind of unbelief. And, but the cure for this kind of unbelief is repentance. When you repent and call on the name of Jesus, you go from unbelief to belief. You, become, you go from being an unbeliever to becoming a believer and disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. So again, there's various kinds of unbelief that we were talking about. There's a rejection of the truth, the rejection of Jesus, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that is a string kind. And that's not the one we're really talking about, even though we talked about it. <laughs> okay, I just talked about it. There's three other kinds of unbelief that I really want to talk about. And the first one I talked about last week, which is the second one in our list here, is the corporate unbelief. And I'm going to recap this briefly as well. Many people don't understand this type of unbelief. And many times, it, this type of unbelief hinders the blessing of God in our lives from receiving answers to prayer and receiving healing in His blessings. Why? Why does this hinder, hinder this? Because many people be, believe they can believe and subject themselves to groups of unbelief, and that unbelief of the group not affect them. 
Okay, that's a deception. Paul says in Corinthians, be not deceived. That if you're deceived, that's okay, don't be deceived. He wouldn't tell you not to be deceived if you can't you don't have a potential or temptation to be deceived. And he's talking to the church, he's not talking to the world. Do not be de be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And we can apply this to many different aspects and principles, but the 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 the, the 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 principle is true. Evil communication, any type of communication that's not of God, corrupts good manners. You can't believe God for miracles and listen to bad teachings that doesn't believe in miracles. You can't believe for healing if you're listening to teaching that doesn't believe in healing. You can't believe the gospel if you listen to bad teachings that doesn't preach the gospel. You are hindering your faith if you're sitting under that type of teaching on a regular basis. By fellowshipping with people full of unbelief and full of doubt, by fellowshipping with people who are not even trying to believe, you are hindering your faith. You can't even unbelieve until you believe. Okay? Some churches don't struggle with unbelief because they don't even have any belief in regards to healing or particular subject matters that surround our salvation. Because we believe, we're tempted to unbelieve. Okay? If you are believing for a miracle... You need to get around those who believe in miracles, who teach miracles, who are praying and believing and standing for a miracle. Okay? If you believe for a good marriage, then you need to be around those who have one. Okay? I see a lot of posts on Facebook about good marriages, bad marriages, good relations. You know, some of you just need to stop it. You're, just a, you're posting a bunch of junk. Okay? You're posting a bunch of unbelief. Okay? Evil communication will corrupt good manners. And some of your posts are nothing but evil communication. Okay? You need to preach truth. And what you might be saying has a fourth of truth in it. It has a fourth of wisdom, but it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. It's not for mercy and love. You need to speak life. You need to speak hope. You need to speak Jesus into love and life and relationships and marriage. Stop talking about all the bad and start talking about all the good that we have in Jesus. Start giving testimony to good relationships and stop giving testimony to all the bad ones. Okay? If you're broke and your friends are broke, chances are you're probably getting bad advice. You need to get advice from those who know how to manage their finances. And we'll be talking more about that when we talk about prosperity, okay? You need to get around someone who knows how to believe God and His Word, okay? Walking with those who are walking in faith will help you increase your faith. The opposite of that is walking with those who are walking in unbelief will help you increase your unbelief, okay? And in Mark chapter 6, he says, And then he went from there and came to his own country. That's what he talked about Jesus. 
going to his own town, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get this, these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works were performed in his names? That, I mean, that they're all, this group is already acknowledging this man, Jesus, has performed miracles. Okay? But he goes on to say, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? Though they were offended at him. Okay? And it goes on to say, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could not do mighty works there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. It says that he could not. Okay? We need to be encouraged by this. The hardest people for you to reach is your family. And we must understand that. Okay? If they are not receiving from you, and I'm talking about you ministering to your family, our closest relatives, <coughs> excuse me, or sometimes even friends or co-workers, you can't cram it down the throats. You can't be obnoxious about it with them. You can't be overpowering with them. You're going to make it worse. You're going to harden their hearts even more. You're going to have to trust your family to God. That God will bring someone that they can connect with that is not family. That's how you can pray. You can be praying that God will send someone that they will listen to and stop cramming it down the throats because you're making it worse. Okay? When your family is not receiving from you, you need to trust God. Going back to our story, Mark, now he, Jesus, could not do mighty works there. Okay? It's not that he wouldn't do many mighty works. He couldn't do it. Why? Because it was unbelief. Okay? And he marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went about the villages in the circuit teaching. The, the unbelief of an entire group hindered the power of God. And the, if the unbelief of an entire group hindered Jesus, the unbelief of an entire group will hinder me or you from yielding to the power of God. If Jesus couldn't do many mighty works, the power of God in a community, in a group that was unbelief, who do you think you are? That you think you will not be hindered by a group from, from exercising and manifesting the power of God in that group. Whether that group be in a hospital room, or someone's dying, a family, whatever that group will be. If that group, the entire group, is in unbelief. It will hinder you from ministering the power of God to that person or in that situation. What's the cause of this kind of unbelief? Dishonor. They did not honor Jesus. They saw him as Mary's son. They saw him as a carpenter. They saw him as jo Mary and Joseph's son. They did not see him as a son of God. They just honored him for who he was. And this dishonor caused unbelief in their life. They wouldn't receive from him. They were offended by him. The consequences of this kind of unbelief was God's power was hindered in that group. <coughs> Excuse me. What's the cure of this kind of unbelief? Teaching. 
And Jesus, and because he marveled because of unbelief, and then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Why is teaching going to help unbelief? Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Satan will dishonor the people of God in your life to cause you to disbelieve. We've seen this many times in the church. One extreme kind, and I don't usually like missing names, but many of us know back, uh, I don't know what this was back in the 80s or what, or what decade this was, but some of you remember Jimmy Swagger. And Jimmy Swagger had a falling out uh, because of sin. He was reaching millions and almost billions of people in his ministry. Uh, how many of you know the gifts and calling of God are about repentance? Okay. He still had a ministry, and he still does to a certain extent, but, and, but he did sin. And that sin, in his own failure, he did repent, but because of what he did, it caused dishonor in his ministry. Okay, I don't have that word on the screen. It caused dishonor in the ministry. Okay? And his ministry, uh, uh, even though it continued to a certain degree, it never regained uh, where it was at. Because Satan came about with the temptation. See, Satan didn't just destroy Jimmy Swagger. Satan came to destroy his influence to the world of preaching the gospel. That was the main objective. And he caused dishonor in the people to cause them to disbelieve the message that Jimmy Swagger was preaching. The message was okay, but there was a there was a falling out of the messenger. Okay? And that's where that dishonor caused that. If I had a falling out or an affair or I did something immoral, it would cause dishonor in your eyes from receiving in my ministry. And even though those are more clear-cut cases. Sometimes the enemy can cause you to dishonor someone because of gossip, because of rumor, because of slander, or you just believe something that, that you have not got all the facts on, whatever the case may be. But there's times where people have dishonor, and it's just a perception. There's no reality to that. But because there's dishonor in your heart towards that person, you're not going to believe them. You're not going to receive them now. Whether the dishonor is legit or, or not, you're not going to receive them now. And Satan is a liar. He's an accuser. He's a deceiver. And he will cause dishonor from you to receive from certain people whether that dishonor was true or not. Am I making sense? Okay? And in order to hinder their influence in your life, Satan will cause, will, will cause dishonor. Why does the devil buffet pastors constantly with so many negative attacks, both the good pastors and the negative pastors. He doesn't even really buffet too much the negative pastors because he already has them where he wants them. But the good pastors, he will buffet like Paul all the time to bring dishonor. Okay? The devil is trying to dishonor me or them in your eyes. And the devil has tried that with me. He's tried that with many good pastors through the years. Some pastors, yes, because of their, like Jimmy Swagger, they brought it on themselves. Okay? But some pastors have not brought it on themselves. They have brought it on themselves in the sense that they're preaching the gospel because all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. And the, de the devil will buffet them to bring dishonor so that you won't receive from them. In order to put unbelief in your heart so that you won't receive from the power of God in their life and in and through their ministry, including myself. So what's the cure? Teaching the gospel. That's why, no matter what people have said about me through the years, I will keep teaching, 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 
teaching the Word of God. Because teaching is the only cure for this type of unbelief. We live in a very cynical society and world today. We live in a society that's full of dishonor. And so it's also very hard to honor anyone anymore. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's getting harder and harder. Okay? Many governments are corrupt at many different levels of government. And many ministers themselves are just idiots. Okay? Which kind of almost goes against what I just said. And so and I know this might not be helping much. But I also believe there's always a remnant of those that you can honor. They are honorable. And you can honor them. And we need to honor them uh, if we're going to receive from them. Okay? So where... And by receiving from them, by honoring them, we can receive the cure, the teaching, and the word of God. Hopefully I'm making sense with this. Okay. Um, in Matthew's version of Mark, he says, And so they were offended at him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of the unbelief. Okay, let's move on. So that's the first two types of unbelief. The string kind, which I'm not really dealing with in this teaching, even I've taught on it now for two weeks, and then uh, this corporate kind I've taught about on the last two weeks. So today I want to go into the last two that I want to talk about. And the first one, uh, which is number three, is a hard heart. Okay? I can look at this from many different angles, but I'm going to go to Mark chapter 16 on this one. And when they heard... Now, this was, after, this was after Jesus died, after he rose again. And when the, the, the eleven heard that he was alive, and actually this was more than nine, and you'll, you'll see this in context in a moment, they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, Mary. They did not believe. And after he appeared in another form to two of them, so that's why I said nine, because eleven minus two is nine, as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told the rest, but they did not believe them either. Okay, I'll come back to some of this. Let's, let's, let's read some more context. Later he appeared to the eleven, and they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. That's, where, that's the main part we're going to come to. Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had, after he had risen. Who did then they believe? Mary and the two. The two on the road to Emmaus, they didn't believe him. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So, I'm going to come back to some of that. But after Jesus, re he rebukes them, right? For not believing Mary and not believing the disciples that he rose from the dead. After Jesus rebukes them for their unbelief, and he rebukes them for their hard heart. <coughs> excuse me, we're going to come back to and talk about some more. He commissions them to go to preach the gospel. Okay? He rebukes them, yes, for not believing. He rebukes them for having a hard heart, and then he goes and tells them to preach the gospel. Okay? He did not hold their unbelief and hard heart against them. Why would he commission them to go preach the gospel if he hadn't was holding it against them? Okay? In other words, he did not disqualify them because of unbelief. Okay? At times, all of us need to receive a rebuke for unbelief and a hard heart. We've all been there. We have all experienced this kind of unbelief, and we have all experienced having a hard heart from receiving God's promises and answers to our prayers. At times, we all need a rebuke. I need a rebuke at times. 
I've had pastors and good friends, my wife, at times rebuke me because of my unbelief. And at times I, as a pastor, must rebuke as well. Not to be mean, not to be spiteful or malicious, but out of love. Okay? Sometimes we all need to hear this from a good friend. You're in unbelief and you're hardened, and, and, and you've hardened your heart. Sometimes we need someone to get in our face and say, You're in unbelief and your heart is hard. Maybe there was a tragedy. Maybe we come to our wit's end. Whatever the case may be. Yet many people get offended by this. Okay? Their pride gets touched. Their ego gets touched. But if the apostles, the disciples, before they became apostles, <coughs> me, were in unbelief and a hard heart, then maybe some of us are in unbelief and have a hard heart. If the apostles were susceptible to, to unbelief and a hard heart, then I believe some of us and all of us can and have experiences. How? How do, how do we get there? How, how did the apostles, disciples, have a hard heart and a belief? They simply forgot the word of God. They were not thinking on the promises of God. How many times did Jesus say, listen to me? Listen, I'm going to die. I'll be buried, and I will rise again in three days. How many times before that happened did Jesus tell his disciples what was going to happen? Jesus dies, they see it. He's buried, they see it. Mary comes and says, he's alive. And they did not believe. Had they been thinking on the word of God, had they been thinking on the promises of God, had they believed what Jesus said, instead of their natural circumstances and emotions, their response would have been, where is he? I want to see him too. Instead, they were carnally minded. What do I mean by carnal? They're natural. That's what it means, naturally minded. They were focused on what they thought they lost. They were, focused, they were dwelling on how bad things were. Their master, their hero, just died but was martyred before their eyes. Okay? They were thinking, we got to go back to our old jobs. And it was good while it lasted, but now it's over. Those three and a half years were the best years of their life, and it was over. In one instance, they had a hard heart. So they did not believe Mary. Well, two disciples... Two of their own said, he's alive. We've seen him. We had a meal with him on the road to Emmaus. We even sat down and ate with him. And they did not believe them. I won't believe it until I see it, is that was their attitude. And that attitude is a hard heart. Okay? It's a hard heart when, you, when we tell you what the Word says, and your response is, I don't believe it until I see it. That is a hard heart. When we preach the word to you on the screen, verbally, or whatever way, and we teach the word to you, and you say, I'm not going to believe it until I see it, that is a hard heart. And your response is, I don't believe it until I see it. I don't believe it until I feel it. And there can be maybe different variations to that. Where does this, where does this come from? 
Where does this hardness of heart and unbelief come from? It comes from meditating on natural circumstances, on our feelings, on our emotions. And when we meditate on natural things, it will harden our heart. Our heart, that is, when we talked about wholeness several weeks ago, our heart is born again. And it will harden our heart because we're not focused on spiritual things. We're not focused on the truth. We're focused on natural things, and it will harden our heart. We're talking about one of the types of unbelief is a hard heart. And it can happen to any of us at any time. And I want to say it's happened to all of us at some point. What's the cause of this kind of unbelief? Carnal thinking. Some people don't like that word, carnal. It's just natural thinking. It's using your five senses, what you see, what you hear, what you smell, what you feel, what you touch. And all of us have struggled with this at times. It is easy to be focused on the problem instead of God's promises. It's easy to be focused on the circumstances instead of his word. It's easy to be focused on natural things instead of the truth. What's the consequence of this type of unbelief? Passivity. Another consequence that goes with is that it, a lack of progression. Let me explain that. When you get carnally minded, when you get naturally minded, you stop going forward. You stop. You wallow in your pain. You wallow, you whine, you throw a temper tantrum, spiritually or even physically. You wallow, poor me, poor me. You're like in Old Testament when you rent your garments and put on ashes, okay? And you become passive. You stop going. You stop growing. You get mad at God. You get mad at your pastor. You get mad at your wife. You get mad at your dog. You get mad at everything and everyone. You get mad at yourself. <clears throat> and how many people do you know who were on fire for God, but now they're not even going to church? How many people do you know who were on fire for God, but they're never in His Word anymore? They're never speaking His Word. They're never reading His Word. They're never proclaiming His Word. There's a new song in your heart, and it's not God. How many people do you know who were on fire for God, but they stopped doing what God told them to do? Where does this come from? What happened? They got focused on natural things. They got focused on the world events. They got focused on people instead of God. They got focused on what man says instead of God's word. Okay. If you look at people after the flesh, Paul says we don't know man after the flesh, you will get discouraged. You will get disappointed. You will get frustrated and mad, and it will cause unbelief. Romans 8 says this, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, or to be carnally or naturally minded, 
is death. It doesn't just lead to death. It is death. And But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It matters what we think about. It matters what we meditate on. Instead of meditating on the Word of God, the promise of God, what God told us to do, who God said we are, what God said about the situation, we are focused on our circumstances, we're focused on the situation, we're focused on what the government is doing or not doing, we're focused on, on, on this or that, our people, our rulers, our pastors, our people who have failed us, people who are not doing it, people who have mistreated us, we're focused on the circumstance, the situation, and no matter how dark it is, no matter how many times Goliath is defying the armies of living, living God, we're wallowing in fear like the armies of Israel, King Saul, instead of like David, who comes on the scene, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of living God? I don't care how big he is, I don't care how fat he is, I don't care how powerful he is, I don't care how old he is, I know my God! And I am in a covenant relationship with him, and I will not only give his carcass to the, the fowls of the air, but I'm going to give the whole army of the Philistines to the fowls of the air. We need to change our thinking. How do you change your thinking? Give the word of God again. We need to change your, changing your thinking will change your attitude. And that's one thing my parents used to tell me a lot. Dave, you need an attitude adjustment. And we're right on. I didn't like that. Okay? And some of us need to stop focusing on the world and everything else. And we need to get our focus back on God. Some of us need to stop focusing on the storm and get your focus back on Jesus. Some of us need to stop focusing on what's wrong. And start focusing on the truth and what's right. If you don't stop it, you will become very cynical. If you don't stop it, you will become very bitter. If you don't stop it, your heart will become very hard. Yes, there are some issues. But stay focused on God's goodness. Stay focused on God's faithfulness. Stay focused on God's promises. Stay focused on God's word. Stay focused on God's presence. Yes, things are bad. Yes, things are horrible. They are they, in the world. They will be until Jesus comes. They will get worse, and they will get worse. But <coughs> excuse me, we're not to wallow and complain about it. We are to keep our focus on His goodness, His faithfulness, His promises, His word, and His presence. We're supposed to keep our focus on Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. And if we're not focused on the author and finisher of our faith, we are focused on the opposite, which is unbelief. Proverbs says this, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Are there issues of life? Yes! They come from your heart. So keep your heart with all diligence. And Proverbs 23, 7 says, As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what you thinking about? Because whatever you think about, that's who you are. That's what the direction your life is going. Okay? Maybe you don't like the direction your life is going. Well, then you need to change your compass. You need to get, you need to get focused on Jesus. You need to get focused on Jesus. Well, it's not changing, Pastor. Keep your focus on Jesus. It's not changing, Pastor. Keep your focus on Jesus. I gotta say this with all love, shut up and let keep your focus on Jesus. 
Keep your focus on Jesus. I say that because I've had to say that to my own flesh. My flesh, you shut up. We're going to keep our focus on Jesus. Okay? Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Folks, we need to keep our mind stayed on Jesus. That's where perfect peace is. In other words, if our mind is not stayed on him, we're not trusting him. Faith, belief, is trust. And if you are not going to keep your mind stayed on him, you are distrusting, unbelief in him, in his word. Some of you believe more what the, the government and the world will do is wrong than you believe what God will do is right. Some of you have more faith in the evil, more faith in the false prophets and teachers, more faith in sin, more faith in wickedness than you do the word of God. And that's wrong. We're the head and not the tail. We're both not believe. Beneath. Excuse me. We should be changing the world, not letting the world change us. We don't back down because the world is the world. We preach the God, word of God with more boldness, like the apostles did in Acts chapter 2 and 4. If your mind is not staying on him, you're not trusting God. You don't have the fear of the Lord. Okay? I don't say that to hurt you. I say that to rebuke you so that you will change. Not stop. I say it in love. I say that to myself. I need to hear the same message many times. And I have heard it. Okay? Romans 14 says, For whatever is not a faith of sin. So if you're not trusting God because you're not standing on Him, you're in sin. Because whatever is not a faith, whatever is unbelief, is sin. What's the cure? The cure is obey God. The cure is do what God has told you to do. The cure is focus on His Word, what He said, what He told you to do. Because what He told you to do is His Word. They're not two different things. Okay? Mark 16 says, he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. And then he said, go to the world and preach the gospel. After Jesus rebukes them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart, he tells them to go preach the gospel. This, wasn't, this was not the first time he told them this. He'd been, teaching, he'd been telling them this from day one. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He's been telling them to go preach the gospel long before they had unbelief at the resurrection of Jesus. He tells them to do what he already told them to do. He told them to resume doing what I told you the first time. He rebuked them, yes. They needed a rebuke. How many of you need a, need a spanking once in a while, spiritually speaking? But the, spiritual, the spanking is not to to get you to stop. It might get you to stop doing what you're doing wrong, but it gets you back on track. It gets you back to doing what you're supposed to be doing, what he told you to do. The best thing people can do who are messed up right now is get back to church. The best thing some people can do right now is get back into fellowship. Get back into his word. Get back into his presence. The best thing some people can do right now 
is get back to doing what God told you to do. I don't know what he's telling me to do. Well, do the last thing he told you to do. What's the last thing he told you to do? Well, God told me to come here. Well, what are you doing now? Well, I'm, I'm over here. Get back to where you're supposed to be. Until you get back to where... He might tell you something new. Unless he tells you something new, do the last thing he told you to do. Because perhaps the reason he's not telling you something new because there's not a new assignment. You are not even doing the last thing he told you to do. Go resume doing what he told you to do. He told Jonah to go to Nineveh. And he went in the opposite direction. You don't want to be the next Jonah story. Okay? You don't want to be Jonah part two. Okay? The sequel. So, we got three types of unbelief. The rejection of Jesus, the rejection of the truth, corporate unbelief, and hardness of heart. The last one I want to go over this morning is the disciples' unbelief. It kind of goes with the hardness of heart, and there's more I can talk about this hardness of heart. Uh, Mark has some other accounts of that. But we're going to look at disciples' unbelief here. We're going to look at Mark chapter 9 again. Mark sure has a lot to say about this. But then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son. We're going to look at Mark's version of this story, and then we're going to go back to Matthew's, which is what our main text for this, uh, uh, this segment of our teaching. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son, who has a mute spirit. I like the King James because it tells you a dumb spirit. Anyway, he foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. This is my spirit manifests everywhere. Okay. Anyway, I guess let's move on. Sorry, I think I'm missing something in my notes here. But the man brings his son to the disciples, but they could not heal him. But look at verse 19. And he answered him, Jesus answered the father, the man, and said, O faceless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring it to me. Can you just hear the frustration in Jesus' voice? I mean, he, he, the man said, I brought this, my, my, my son to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And the first thing out of Jesus' mouth, oh, faithless generation, how long can I be? How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? You know, as a pastor, people get mad at me when I reprove them. Yeah, I am very soft compared to Jesus. I didn't hang call you on a faithless generation. How much how long can I put up with you? Okay. Jesus doesn't pull back any punches. And he doesn't do it with malice. He doesn't do it with spite. Okay? Anyway, well, we'll leave it at that. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw, and when he saw him, when he, the boy, who had a demonic spirit, saw him, Jesus, and immediately the spirit convulsed him, the boy, and he fell, the boy, on the ground and waddled, foaming at the mouth. So he asked, Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and often he has thrown him, him both into the fire and to the water to destroy him. We know that's demonic. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. 
And Jesus' response to that is, if you can believe, all things are possible to him believe. We, we read this at the very beginning of our, our message this morning. And our key verse for this segment of unbelief, immediately the father of the child cried out and said to him with tears, I believe, but help my belief. Again, like I said earlier, many of us have been here. You believe the truth of God's word, but you're struggling with some type of unbelief. Yeah, okay, the man had some level of unbelief, otherwise he would never have brought his son to the disciples, and he would, but he would also struggle with some type of unbelief, and this is where most of us find ourselves. Most of us, like, believers believe, but we're not unbelievers. So the Father, that's what many of us say, and many of our times when we've been praying and crying out to God, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Again, we're not unbelievers. Most of us believe God. We believe in Jesus. We believe the Word of God. We believe in prayer. We believe in healing. We believe in miracles. But all of us struggle with wavering at times. And many of us know what the Word says. And like the disciples, we've seen it work in various people's lives. But we're struggling with some kind of unbelief right now where we're at. So he, the Father, is asking for help. Just like Peter when he was walking on the water and he began to sink, he asked for help. And there's nothing wrong with asking for help. <clears throat> there may be a little reproof of why you had unbelief, but he's going to help you. He's going to help you get your prayer answered, but he's also going to help you overcome unbelief for the next time. Am I making sense with that? Okay. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Death, he's speaking to the spirit, not the boy. Death and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and he came out of him and became as one dead. And so that, that many of them said, he is dead. Now this is going well. When Jesus rebuked the spirit, things got worse before they got better. At least they appeared to be. Okay. I want to slow down the story a little bit. Sometimes we just gloss over this. Because sometimes we pray for people and it looks like it gets worse before it gets better. The people thought he was dead. They're not convinced at this point. Okay. The story's not over, but at this point, and both of us, if that happened and he appeared dead, we probably believe what the people said and we would probably just go, go home uh, with a tail between our legs. Wondering why God didn't use us. And that might have happened with what the disciples did. I don't know. Anyway. And then the spirit cried out again, convulsed him greatly, and he came out and he became one as dead. And then many of them said, he's dead. Let's recap a little bit before we go forward. Jesus taught his disciples through the years, through, 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 the, through the time he's been with them. He taught them and he gave them power to do the very thing that he just did. Heal the sick and cast out devils. That's what Jesus is going to, is going to, has done and is, is doing. He's frustrated with their faithlessness, our unbelief. Okay? He rebukes the evil spirit. 
And the boy gets worse before he gets better. He starts convulsing more violently. And now they all think the boy is dead. I mean, that's, gonna, that's really going to kill a healing service when they're not coming out alive, they're coming out dead. And I'm being facetious here on purpose, and I'm slowing it down and focusing on this, because this is where a lot of us have been when we pray for people, it looks like it gets worse, and instead of us seeing someone get healed, they're dead. Or at least everyone thinks so. Okay? But Jesus, I love that phrase, but Jesus is not moved by what he hears. He's not moved by what he sees. He's not moved by what he feels. And he's not moved by the feelings of the room, of the crowd. Because where did I get this phrase, but Jesus? The very next verse. But Jesus. We need to get our butt in the right place. But Jesus took the him by the hand, lifted him, and he arose. Jesus was walking by faith and not by sight. The people saw a boy now dead. But Jesus was walking by faith, not by sight. Jesus was not carnally, naturally minded. Jesus was spiritually minded. But listen real carefully here. You don't get where Jesus was and his faith overnight. All of us will experience believing one thing and it looks the exact opposite. We prayed for a boy to get healed and delivered and now he looks like he's dead. It looked opposite. That was not that was not the plan. That's not why the father brought the boy to him. Okay? All of us will experience believing one thing, and everyone else is saying the exact opposite. The crowd was saying he's dead. That's unbelief. That kind of goes with my other point. My, my, the second type of unbelief, the crowd is saying he's dead. All of us will experience believing one thing, and you're feeling the exact opposite. And you will have to learn to walk by faith. It's something you learn. How do you learn it? By your teacher, the Holy Spirit. Mark 9 says, 28 says, And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? I like this privately. I don't know if you've read the Gospel letters, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But whenever Jesus talked privately to his disciples, he always got deeper. He got deeper than he did with the crowd and the multitudes. He always cut to the chase when he talked to his disciples. I want Jesus to be able to cut to the chase with me. I want to get to the matter even if it's not what I want to hear. Okay? But they ask, why could we not cast it out? Why the question? Why ask? Why the question? Because they've already been casting out devils all over the place. This was not the first demonic spirit they come across. They've seen people get healed. They've seen people raised from the dead. They, they, they've been doing it themselves in ministry. Okay? It's been working up till now. Why all of a sudden did it not work? 
That will shipwreck your faith real quick. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't care how many people you've seen healed, raised from the dead, but if you start seeing someone not get healed, even that one can question and shipwreck your faith. They were, it was working. They were already doing it. They were casting out devils. In Matthew chapter 10, he gave them power to do it. In Luke chapter 10, he gave them and the 70 power to do it. In Luke chapter 10, then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Excuse me. And nothing by not and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But he goes on to say, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's just a side point right now. But he gave them authority to do this. They've been doing it. They were rejoicing over it. Okay? And so he said to them, disciples, back to our story mark. This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And most people think he's talking about the demon. The unclean spirit, the, the mute and dumb spirit. Okay? Scripture does not teach fasting and prayer is required before dealing with certain kinds of devils. You will not find that teaching, that doctrine, in any scripture. Okay? We are instructed to rebuke the devil, period. We are instructed to cast out the devils, period. Let's go to Matthew's version of the story. Sometimes when you hear a story, you need to get every eyewitness. Okay? And the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? The story sounds the same so far, or at least where we picked it up. So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, seed, not seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So, however, this kind, he's still talking about unbelief, does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Again, he's not talking about the demon. He's talking about this kind of unbelief. What's the cure to this kind of unbelief? Prayer and fasting. Why? Why is this a cure for this kind of unbelief? Because that's what prayer and fasting does. Fasting is disciplining your outer man, your flesh, to tune in to your inner man, your born-again spirit. Okay? The purpose of prayer and fasting is not to get God to do something. New Testament prayer and fasting is not to get God to do something. The purpose of prayer and fasting is to get me to become more sensitive to what God is saying in my born-again spirit. <coughs> Versus what my natural man is sensing with my natural senses. 
Fasting is getting me to be sensitive to what God is saying in my born-again spirit versus what my flesh is telling me through my five senses. My five senses, what I hear, see, smell, feel, those senses are telling, giving me a message. Everything I see, everything I hear is giving me a message. But God is also speaking. And sometimes my five senses, that message is louder because it's what I'm listening to. And fasting gets me to shut up my, my senses, get shut up my flesh, so I can hear God. God is speaking. He's been speaking. He never stops speaking. He's the Word. He's the living Word. He is always speaking, and He will always answer. But my five senses, my natural man, is so loud, I can't hear the spiritual man. And so I need to fast to discipline my flesh, to get, get my, my flesh to be quiet and hear God. Okay? The purpose of perfasting is to enable my spirit to dominate what I hear and see instead of my flesh. The purpose of perfasting is to enable my spirit to dominate what I hear and see versus my natural man dominating me. And allow your born-again spirit to take ascendancy in your life. I want to live by the Spirit, not by flesh. I want to walk by faith and not by sight. I want God to lead me by His Word, by His voice. My sheep know my voice, and I don't want to be led by my five senses. I want to be led by God. I don't want my flesh to have dominance in my life, I want my born-again spirit to have ascendancy dominance in my life by the power of the Spirit. And fasting is how we can get there. It's secure. Versus my natural man dominating me. We are all carnal. Might not like that, but we're all natural. What I mean by that, we all live in the natural body. And we all live in the natural world. And we are all moved by what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we feel, what we touch. But we walk by faith, not by sight. And everybody knows this. Everybody knows that we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. But we don't realize how much you are dominated by what you see and what you hear, what you feel and smell, etc. Your belief systems are being formed by what you see. Many of you, many of us, including myself at times, versus instead of what God has said. I want to repeat this again. Your belief systems are being formed by what you see instead of what God has said. So what does fasting do? Fasting disciplines my natural senses. And I tell my body who is in charge. Who's Lord? I will tell my body, we will eat when I say we eat. This is me speaking to my body. In the context of fasting. We will eat when I say we eat. You ever had hunger pains? Those hunger pains can get pretty loud. 
And your body's telling you what you're going to do instead of you telling your body what we're going to do. Okay? We will eat when I say we eat. And the first is, and not when you say, not when you, the body, says we'll eat. Okay? You're, you discipline your natural appetites. And you bring those natural appetites under subjection to the Word of God. And you bring them under subjection to the Spirit of God, to the Word of God. I'm not fasting to get God to speak to me. He's already been speaking. I'm just not listening. I'm not fasting to get God to speak to me. I'm fasting to tune in to what he's already saying to me. It's not like I'm saying out a smoke signal so God will speak to me. No, it's me getting my antenna Connected to hear what he's saying because he's already speaking. I'm just not listening because my flesh, the world, and what I'm meditating on is so loud. I'm not hearing very well. Because my senses are so heightened because of this world. Or maybe the circumstance, maybe the circumstance is very emotional. It's a tragedy. It, you know, the things of the the, the end time things are gonna get very dark and dreary. We need to be hearing God. And not the cares of this world and how evil and dark it's become. And I, there's times when I'm having a hard time hearing my heart what God is saying. And so I need to fast. I need to pray. If you are having a hard time hearing what God is saying, that is a sign you need to fast and pray so you can hear God. Not so he'll speak, no, so you can hear. What you in prayer and fasting is unbelief, not the demon. Okay? Prayer and fasting feeds my faith and starves my unbelief. Many of us, our senses dominate us. You know what the Word of God says, but you believe more what you see than what the Word of God says. I'm not condemning you for that. But I am saying you're carnal. And I can put myself in the same, same boat. Okay? I'm saying you need to learn to fast, pray, and fast. To cast out unbelief. The cure for this kind of unbelief is prayer and fasting. But many do not understand fasting under the new covenant grace versus fasting under the old covenant all. We're in a whole new covenant. We are in a better covenant. And therefore, under this area, many people are confused. Because they don't understand the difference between old covenant and new covenant. I'm not fasting to get God to move. Let me say it this way. Let me just be blunt. God is not impressed by your hunger strike. Okay? We are not a bunch of terrorists trying to manipulate God to do something. God, we're not going to eat until you speak. That's manipulation. That's a hunger strike. Okay? You will not make God talk to you by a hunger strike. You can't manipulate God with a fast. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't work. 
I manipulate my flesh with my past. I manipulate my emotions with my past. You'd be surprised how much your body is actually controlling you, your flesh, versus the Spirit of God controlling you. What you say, what you do, how you live. I'm not condemning you for this. I'm not saying you rejected Jesus, but your body is controlling you. And the cure is prayer and fasting. Okay, Mark 9 24 says, What I believe, I have my unbelief. You don't get where Jesus was overnight. The cure is prayer and fasting, and Jesus spent a lot of time fasting and prayer during his ministry. Unfortunately, though, many Christians never get that. Not because God doesn't want them to get there, and not because they can't get there. But most people don't want to say no to their appetites. Again, I'm not condemning you for that. Some people are just, I talk about, talk about appetites for a moment. Some people are just addicted to food versus hearing God, believing God, trusting God. Some people are just addicted to coffee and other things. Fruits and vegetables. Chocolate. Sweets. Sugar. Junk food. Whatever. You can put anything on it. Okay? Some people are just addicted to TV. Some people are just addicted to social media and their phones. And other things of that nature. Some people are just addicted to work. And the list can go on and on and on and on. Even ministry. People can be addicted to ministry or they're addicted to a certain minister. They go into conference and conference, reading book after book, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not condemning anyone for any doing anything. There's nothing wrong with TV in and of itself. But for some of you, it would be wise to fast TV just for one day. Or your phone or social media. Or some of these things just for one day. Because it's addictive. And it has your heart. Because you are having a hard day. You're going through a hard time. You're dealing with demons and devils of various kinds. You're dealing with the, the difficult people and what we call, my wife and I would call EGRs, extra, extra grace required people. And at the end of the day, you're just weary. I don't know about you, but lately I've been working 60, 80 hours. I'm tired at the end of the day. Okay? At the end of the day, you're just weird. And it's so easy just to sit there and turn on the TV and let the world mess your head up. On social media or whatever it might be. And so you're tired, you're weary, you've had a, you're going through a tough time, and you're letting the world through Facebook, through social media, the world, you're meditating on what they're saying, and you're not spending any time in the Word of God, in His presence. And it's become addictive. It's your safe spot. It's your time to unwind. You need to have temperance, and that's the fruit of the Spirit, in these areas. You need to have temperance in your mind and your emotions. None of these things are sin in and of themselves. 
TV's not sin, social media. I mean, the fact that you're listening to this message on social media. Okay? So I'm not against social media or TV or anything. I'm not against ministry. I'm not against ministers. But some of you will spend more time with a minister than you will with God himself. Some of you will go listen to message after message, seminar after seminar, conference after conference, book after book, CD after CD, but you won't spend any time in the Word of God yourself. That is addiction that's wrong. Ministry. Some of you are ministry of pastors, bishops, evangelists, apostles, whatever you call yourself, or whatever your gifting and calling is. And yet, you will spend more time ministering to people and not spending time with your Abba yourself. Jesus himself prioritized time with the Father. He ministered. But he also received ministry from his Father. Okay? None of these things are wrong. Okay? I don't have a problem with chocolate. I don't have a problem with sugar. God created that. God created the coffee bean. I don't have a problem with that. But when these things begin to dominate you, and when you are struggling, you turn to these things and not to God, okay, that's when it becomes a problem. These things in themselves are not sin, but if you can't say no to it, then it becomes a sin. Something you can't say no to means that that thing is your Lord, at least in that aspect of your life. As a, as a pastor, people get mad at me when I reprove them, like I might be reproving you right now. Yeah, I am very soft compared to what Jesus, how Jesus is. The best thing people can do who are messed up right now and going through a hard time is get back to church, get back into fellowship, get back into his word, get back into presence. The best thing some of you can do right now is get back to doing what God has told you to do. Just like he told the disciples, after he reproved them, go preach Go do what I've called you to go do. We all need reproof. We all need correction. But then we need to go give back our Father's business. We need to be occupied until he comes. He didn't reprove them to get them to stop ministering. He reproved them so they get back on, on track. Okay? He didn't reprove them so they would just see how worthless they were. He reproved them so they can get focused back on what he's called them to do. Believe the gospel. By not believing that he wasn't ready for the dead, they weren't believing the gospel. You can't, go, you can't go preach the gospel if you haven't believed it. They need to believe that he's risen from the dead. How many of you know they were dragging their heels for days, for, for, for hours, for days, days uh, not too long because they had already been buried for three days. How many of you know they were wallowing in their pain? Because their, their hero, their master, was dead. In their eyes, was dead. And they thought their whole ministry was over. They thought they were going to have to go back to their own job. Their whole life had changed. How many know when they had the revelation that Jesus was alive? Their life didn't have to go back to their old ways. Their life wasn't going to be the same again. And they were going forward, not backwards. And they became the apostles. And they, God used them to change the world upside down for Christ. They got busy doing what God called them to do. Of course, yeah, if you read the context, comparing Matthew, Mark, and Luke together, they still waited 10 more days. Uh, it was a total of 50 days, actually, between the resurrection and Pentecost. 
if what everybody's trying to ministry. But them seeing Jesus raised from the dead changed their lives forever. And it took what they had before to a whole new level. And some of us are wallowing in our pain when we just need to get focused back on God, see Him, and whatever you think you're wallowing in, God can turn it around. And sometimes the turning around is not even changing the circumstance. Sometimes turning around is God just changing your perception. And you realize that God is not, God is not making everything fall apart. God is setting the stage to, to bring His kingdom in the world and to do something great, to do something powerful, to do something mighty. And you can't see it because you're not listening. And you're not listening because you're listening to your emotions and you're listening to your flesh. And you need to fast and pray and get and hear God so He can put your, your heart and your mind back into alignment to hearing Him. And when you get everything in perspective like you should get it in perspective, you're like, okay, now I know what to do. And, and you know, I'm closing as I'm wrapping this up. But... Sharon and I have been here many times. In, in recent years, we've been here. Um, it was a time, where, uh, I think, uh, last fall, around September-ish. Uh, we were struggling at the time. We were struggling financially somewhat. Uh, we were on the verge of struggling. And uh, I had started a business, and it wasn't taken off like it should. And there was a, was a problem with our Google account. That had, it was not our fault, but we couldn't fix it. COVID was still still uh, at large at the time and so I was trying to many other side jobs and I got so I had four or five jobs I was working on one time just trying to bring some income for us and I was getting so burned out I was getting so distraught and finally I just said you know enough is enough and I shut everything down for a week I almost even shut, shut church down just for a week not to shut church down I needed to shut everything down to fast and pray and hear God. And Lord, did I make a wrong turn? Am I supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing? What's going wrong? And one of the biggest things that God was telling me during that thing, get into my presence. Get into my presence. He, he gave us a lot of words. He gave us a lot of stuff. But when it all came back to, do, back to it, he had already told us what to do. It wasn't all these different jobs that were starting. It was we were supposed to do the main job that he gave us to do in addition to pastoring. And when we got our heart back in alignment, I remember that was that night at midnight, my Google ads turned back on for the business. And our business has taken off ever since then. And then we had a, couple, a few months ago, we had a move, a move that came on us unexpectedly where we had to move. And we had 60 days and we were down to our last two weeks and we still hadn't had a place yet. We were praying about where to move. We were praying about, you know, because if, if we lost a house and we didn't, we, we became homeless, not only would this uh, put us out where we didn't have a place to live, but this would, this would be a threat to closing the church. This would be a threat because our church is in our home. This would be a threat to closing our business because our business at the time was in our home. And so this, threat, this threatened everything. And... But during that season, we were praying. We were we were we were wallowing, complaining. We got in the flesh, but we were also seeking God. We were like the Father. We believe and we help our unbelief because we were on both sides of the fence. Uh, and, and each day had its different toil. But during that season, we also we had found the house. This house uh, we had not officially received it yet. We found an office, and we hadn't officially received that one yet. And we uh, and so Sherry and I for a week or two. We were fasting and praying in, in many different fashions of how that looked, but we also, there was a, 
uh, I know you guys haven't been here, but there's a, a picnic table just on the outside of the fence here uh, that we just wanted. We believe you gave us a house, and we just thank you for the house. We received the house in Jesus' name. We just spent a lot of time wallowing about, worrying about it, but we're just receiving it. We're just like, make, we're just here, like, Lord, if, if not this house, please show us another direction of where we're supposed to go. Same thing for the business. We 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 just went to the the the, the place of business where we thought it was going to be, and we laid hands on it, and then we just, uh, Lord, if this is what we're supposed to have, thank you for giving it. If not, give us a new direction. If maybe we're not supposed to be here in Camarillo redirect us where we're supposed to be, show us what to be. We just want to hear you. Right now we're not hearing very well because our emotions are high, but we're trying to seek your face and we're trying to give you thanks. And I can't say we were doing it perfectly, but we were, we were, we were, we were trying to seek God. And God gave us this house. God gave us that, 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 that place of business. And our business exploded. And, and our ministry has been exploding. And everything's been good. But we just need a time where we shut everything down and sought God. And sought Him. And that can look in a lot of different ways. But sometimes we, even as ministers, even doing what we're supposed to be doing, we did, might not have done nothing wrong to cause the problem, but we find ourselves in the problem. And we, and, but our emotions are now so caught up in the problem, so caught up in all the, the, the move and the emotions, the finances, and everything that goes with that, that we were getting very perplexed. And, we, and that's the part I didn't like the most. And through that, and because we became so perplexed, we began to lose our purpose and our focus, and I did, that's even more scarier. And so we just began to seek God, and we, when, we, we, when we were sensing things, we were like, Lord, is this you? Because we don't have affirmation on that yet and we just did and God brought everything together my point is sometimes we just need to shut everything else out and seek God and get refocused and sometimes getting refocused doesn't mean anything's going to change as far as your direction maybe you're not supposed to change your direction maybe you just need to get your heart back in tune like a guitar, you need to get it tuned up. Like a piano, you need to get it tuned in because you're not listening very well because you're so caught up in the trauma, you're so caught up in the moment, you're so caught up in what you need to do. you got so many irons in the fire, you don't know which one you're supposed to go, whether you're supposed to go this way, that way, or not, or just stay put. And so we sometimes have to shut everything down. To, to, it's not that God wasn't speaking. We were so drowned out by our emotions and the circumstances, we weren't listening. And so we had to shut things down so we did listen. And God did speak, and He has spoken, and we, we move forward. And uh, we, He told us we need to keep doing what God told us to do. God, what God had told us to do, and what God had been telling us to do, didn't change. The only thing that changed was we got our mind and emotions focused on the problem, and the situation, in our flesh, and not Him. And when we got back, focus, when we got refocused on Him, everything came back into alignment again. And it's not like anything really changed. It's just our heart and mind became focused on Him. And the circumstances became to come in alignment with that. I hope this blessed you. i got one more week I want to do on this subject of healing. I want to talk about walking in divine health next week as we conclude this teaching on healing. God bless you guys. Have a great week.